today I'm going to talk about life's assumptions, things I don't assume to be true. There's 10 common beliefs. To be honest with you, I, I stole this idea, but I was reading a great newspaper and a Christian was writing 10 assumptions he said that he doesn't believe to be true and I went, wow, this is awesome. So uh, I'm going to add a few things to it. But there's 10 common beliefs that are usually only as true as we make them. And beliefs have a powerful effect on our life. A self, who's heard, you know, the term self-fulfilling prophecy? You know, if you believe something, it often, if you believe it hard enough and long enough, very often it becomes true. You can make it true. And we know that is a principle in God. But this is what Wikipedia says. A self-fulfilling prophecy is the socio-psychological phenomenon of someone predicting and this prediction coming true simply because the person believes it will and the person's resulting behaviours align to fulfil the belief. I think I deserve a clap just for that word socio-psychological. <laughs> so there you go. Very often, how many of you know that to be true? If you believe something enough, then it often becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, we can limit our potential or we can expand it. And the more we believe something to be true, the more likely it will become so. And also a self-limiting belief about our ability will also um, often lead us not to even try or to grow. And so in the light of fathering, I think that is pretty powerful. Because if you've had a bad father, then you might say, I'm not going to be a good father because my dad wasn't a good father. But that is not true because we know God changes narratives. True? What's really important, I think, is the story that we tell ourselves. So men, what's the story you tell yourself? And secondly, the words that we speak to others. As fathers, the words you speak to your children, to your spouse, are powerful. When something is spoke often, it often ends up becoming true. So the Word of God tells us to speak what is true. Perverse speech, Proverbs 15 verse 4. Let's just have a look at that and we'll start with this scripture. It says this, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. There you go. It is as I said. <laughs> Perverse speech is when you align yourself with something with the spirit of the age, and allude to those whose disposition is of a perverse mood, cantankerous, or simply one who is persistent or obstinate in what is wrong. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? People do reject, and maybe you do, reject what God says. When someone says to you, you are loved, do you go, oh, no, that's silly. See, we reject what is true often, very easily in simple things. So let's not be perverse because the wholesome tongue is the tree of life. So men today, a wholesome tongue is going to bring life into your household. I'm going to look at 10 common life assumptions. I'm going to skip through them and um, like I'm skipping through the tulips today. These 10 life assumptions can run amok because we'll align ourselves with the wrong spirit. So remember, these are the ten assumptions, right? These are not the things that are true. These are the things that we assume 
to be true. First one is this, parenting teenagers is miserable. <laughs> How many of you heard that one? That's not true, is it, Ronan? No. <laughs> he's such a good teenager. Or well, he's not a teenager anymore. It requires intentionality and a shift in parenting strategy. How many of you know this? I never believed it had to be unenjoyable or that children would be, hit their teenage years and become disrespectful. And I don't think Peter and I ever actually really thought that. We never believed that to be true. But some people just brace themselves. And unassumingly, we go around saying, oh, you just if you're great now, just wait until they hit their teenage years. We align ourselves with wrong spirits. That's not true. Why do we want to believe that? I believe the Bible says that when they train up a child in the way they should go, their teenage years are going to be delightful. The teenage years of our children's uh, have been delightful. We've had four of them. And the reason for that is that I've got selective memory and I can't remember any of the bad stuff, okay? just want you to know that. <laughs> or they just didn't tell me any of the bad stuff. My children are all sitting here right now going, oh my gosh, mum, if you start telling stories. <laughs> you know, what I love is that all our children want to be at home. There was just seasons where they, we just wouldn't accept certain behaviour. And we stuck to our guns. Peter was very good with boundaries. Um, where People say, well, where's their freedom to, to, to choose? Let me tell you, while a child... But I always believe when in Rome do as the Romans do. When kids are in my house, they do what I do. I know too many families that let their children make their own decisions. You know, too, many too much decision-making for your children actually causes them anxiety because they're actually not equipped to cope with it when they're young. You know, if you start saying, oh, honey... Which outfit would you like to wear today to your two-year-old? <laughs> I know parents who do that. How ridiculous. I pull out one or two items and I say you can choose between that one and that one. See, anxiety is created often. We have so much choice. Peter and I lived in America. We had terrible anxiety when we went to Panera Bread because they'd go, now, what bread would you like? Would you like this bread? Would you like that bread? And I, by the end of it, I had an anxiety attack. I had to. I felt so stressed. That's so many choices. <laughs> Set your boundaries in your home. Choose your freedoms and let them make certain mistakes. Your teenagers, it doesn't have to be miserable time. I found it's been wonderful time. We've loved all of our kids through those years. And it just requires some intentionality and a shift in strategy. Number two, extended time with extended family is difficult. In fact, we're actually having an extended time with extended family tonight. But uh, it's never difficult. It's a wonderful time. Some of you, you know, I don't know all of your life situations, but if you've had blended families or if you've, um, you know, had a, a marriage and you've got different families, you might have four sets of grandparents for all I know, some children. But, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Sometimes you need to establish your own identity. I noticed when um, Peter and I, we always spent Christmas with our families at the coast. Loved it. And uh, we spent three weeks down there holidaying with Peter's family, living in the house. We never bought it, got a unit and went to our own unit so that we could have our own space. We actually thoroughly enjoyed being with mum and dad. Just loved it. And I trust that that's your experience. But, you know, extended time doesn't have to be difficult. Number three, I can wait. I can't wait for retirement. I'm not saying that. Just want you to know that. 
This is 10 common life assumptions. Peter and I, in fact, I thought that I probably would like to retire when I married Peter and I thought, you know, we'll get to the 60s when mum and dad, are, you know, they, they retired. Our, pe- our parents, my dad was grazier, retired in his 50s and um, they went to the coast. Dad took up art and golf, mum took up golf and had a lovely life. But, you know, in the end, I think they're just bored, <laughs> watched a lot of sport. And, um, you know, and so it, we, I don't look forward to retirement. I want to keep doing what I love. How can work be enjoyable if the goal's to get out of it? <laughs> Enjoy what you do. Determined to love it. Number four, a productive life is a busy life. Working on your day off, trying to impress your boss. That's not a good idea. Make sure you honour your days off. You're going to need them. And a productive life doesn't mean that you've got to work every day. It just means you've got to manage your time well. You know, we manage our time. People say, well, you're getting older. Peter and I manage our time. I'm not going to tell you what you do because you probably say, oh, you're just being lazy. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, we're hard workers, but we know how to manage our time. So busyness does not equate to productive. Number five, we need debt to finance an enjoyable life. Let me read this to you. Proverbs 25, verse 27 to 28. Now, I'm going to read this in the Message Bible. It's not smart to stuff yourself with sweets. I just love this. Nor is glory, piled on glory, good for you. How good is that? So much better than that version. I like it is not good to eat too much honey, but this is so much better. It's not smart to stuff yourself with sweets. How many of you know that too many sweets is bad for you? A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. I love it. You know the story, too much of a good thing, okay? You don't need to go and take out a loan to go and get a really good holiday. You can do, there's lots of things you can do to enjoy life. Being temperate means to be under self-control or have rule over your own spirit. So, you know, control your life by not getting yourself into debt because you think that's the only way I can be happy. Number six. Now, I just want my sons-in-law to pay attention this one. Okay. Mother-in-laws are difficult. Yeah, I can see a smirk down the end there. Okay. Now, I know. See, my sons-in-law have the best mother-in-law in the world. Just want you to know that. But mother-in-laws are portrayed as the butt of all jokes, aren't they, you know? And, and they're always portrayed badly in sitcoms. Is that not true? Right. Who taught them that? I had a great relationship with my mother-in-law when I met Peter and uh, we were living on the farm. Peter's mum and I, she'd say, let's go to the theatre. And so she took me to see some great musical theatre. We went and saw things like... Um, I can't even remember the names of them now. But we just loved going out together and she took me to some great things. Had a great time. Loved my mother-in-law. Peter loved his mother-in-law. And um, my sons-in-law loved me. Okay. Number seven. (laughs) Life assumptions. If you've got a bad mother-in-law, I feel, I'm sorry. Money doesn't change you. Here's your seventh one. You need to understand money does change you, really. 
but beware the potential negative influence and stayed focused on personal ethics in the light of it. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells you this. You know, people that get a lot of, win lotto and all things like that, it changes them. In fact, they usually lose it all. It says, 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Nothing wrong with money. It's just what money does to us. Sometimes we find our self-sufficiency in that, and our self-sufficiency must be in God, right? Our self-sufficiency must be in God, not in what we have and not in our money. In fact, our money, Dave Harney says, God gives you money for purpose to, to um, build the kingdom. Money is... Um, I love the way Dave says that money... He sets his goals for the year of how much he's going to give and purpose for God's kingdom and for the church. It's not about making money. Love that. Number eight, religion is a boring weakness. <laughs> Hebrews 10.38 says that the just live by faith. That's how we're designed to live. You know, many people think that religion is just a crutch, that um, a traditional church people I'm talking about, I know none of you would think that, but it is a false assumption that people think, oh, you only need religion when you've got nothing else. But we know that it's the mainstay in our life, true? What about this one? Number nine, kids are terrible in their twos. Don't you love that? Everybody says, oh, what a good baby. And then they get to two and you go, oh, my gosh, they turn into a nightmare. doesn't have to be true. It's a false assumption. And yet how many times will we say things like that? We just, we just let ourselves align with a false assumption. I know Christian children who have never given their parents a day of trouble. Sure, you have little things that happen, but by and large, you know, that assumption is really false. Children rise to the expectation we place on them. I just want you to never expect that the twos and the threes can never be an excuse for tantrums and bad behaviour, for instance. We just say, oh, that's just him. That's just the way they are. No, it's not. You know, intentionality when you raise your children according to the ways of God. Fathers, getting involved with your children, training them. And, you know, the hardest thing about training your children is that it's actually training. Now, if you think of an athlete, an athlete actually trains. People say, well, I smacked my child once and it never worked. <laughs> yeah, well, I jumped over a high jump once too. Didn't work either. <laughs> You've got to train for things, training your children. There's got to be intentionality. And, you know, for grandparents, you look at it and you see your children and you think, okay, you know, you see. We, we look at areas where you've made mistakes or where you haven't. But, you know, by and large, it doesn't have to be a bad experience. Seek to understand their developmental phase and work hard to instruct them and fight Against the presumption, kids are going to act a certain way because that's the assumption that they grew up believing. Oh, your father was like that. Your grandfather did that. Break life assumptions and stop aligning yourself with the spirit of the age. Number 10 is the big one. Life assumption. People are talking about me behind my back. I love this one. Because this was me when I was young. 
Sometimes working in church, you hear comments like, um, people are being judged by others. And often it's not the case, it's just a projection. In the end, really, I've learned that people are too busy talking about themselves <laughs> to pay any attention to anything you've done or said. But it took me a long time to learn that. And I think it happens a lot in church. Churches, very often, there can be mis... Um, um, what's the word? There can be, uh, we think the wrong thing. We say, oh, you know, they walked straight past me and didn't say hello. How easy is that to happen? I do it myself. I walk straight past someone and afterwards I go, oh, I think I just walked, didn't say hello to so-and-so. Or they might have smiled and acknowledged me and I didn't acknowledge them back. And it's very easy to project and make a judgment and say, oh, they just don't like me. Oh, I did something the other week and that's because I did that and now they're doing this and now... And all of a sudden you've got this mountain that's blowing up beyond a molehill. It's very easy to project. Don't make assumptions. Go and ask somebody. Say, listen, I'm sorry I did that. And they go, oh, don't worry about it. We can avoid a lot of trouble by not doing that. You know, um, as I draw this up to a conclusion, I want us to understand it's maybe some of they speak to you, maybe none of them speak to you. But don't get caught up in life's assumptions because the, the zeitgeist of the world, the sway of the world wants to take you a certain way. And it's very easy. The perverseness of speech, he says, was going to dry up your bones because you will align yourself with a certain kind of thinking that in the end it's not going to hurt anyone else, it's going to hurt you. Fathers, who you are, don't assume because you had a hard life that your kids need to have a hard life or, you, the, you know, because this happened to me, I'm going to, you know, make sure that you do it the right way too. Learn to align yourself. We've got to realign ourselves from what we've been to who God says we are to be. True? Most of us and a lot of us have gone through that. Change. If you reject life's assumptions, you will regain power to develop your own life. True? the one you desire. Abraham is called the father of faith, right? We're talking about fathers today. Abraham, the father of faith. What made him? It said in, um, he became, I like um, Romans 4 verse 18, tells us this, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. He, against hope, believed in hope. What does a father do? Against hope, he believes in hope. He believes the best for his child. You are the one who sees your child misbehaving, but against hope, you believe the best. You believe that they'll come out the other side. You say, this will pass. The father is the one who stands in the house and says to the wife, if she's feeling distressed, or he says to the child, this will pass. They'll come through this. You get a child for 18 years or 16 years, you've got to believe. Faith, who hope, against hope, believed. Who, and he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. What are you speaking in your home? If you're a single parent and you are, in Christ it says there's neither male nor female, so you're the, you're the mum and the dad. According to what you speak, the father takes a hold by faith and he says, 
according to what is spoken and you decree it over your child, over your children, over your household. I love that about our own home, um, my husband. I love that spirit of faith that was in him. And when I felt weak, he'd say, no, this will pass. And I'd say, oh, but, you know, the boundary you've set up, he said, this is my boundary. He said, this is where the line is in the sand and I will not move it. And I'd get nervous and I'd think, oh, maybe I just want to move the, move the post. Peter would say, no. One thing I know that my husband was resolute in certain things. He'd say, I'm going to write up a book called Peter Earlisms. <laughs> he says, fight the battles you can win. If you're going to pick a battle, you better make sure you're going to win it. If you have difficulties with your children, you better make sure that the battle is over something worthwhile because if you lose it, you damage your credibility. You've got to pick your battles and then make sure you win it. And then you make a statement. See, we did that in our house. It's not accidental that our children are in church. And I honour the fathers that I had, my father and my father-in-law, for their, um, oh, just their integrity. You know, my dad didn't get saved until really late in life and I led him to Jesus. But my dad was a man of integrity. My dad hated things like pornography. That was back in the day when, when um, porn magazines used to be on the bottom shelf. You know, they've changed a lot of that. Even though my dad was not a Christian man, my dad was a righteous man who gave his life to Jesus late in his life. And he, and he always said, to, I always knew those things were wrong because we'd have shearers come through the properties and stuff and they'd have their porn magazines and stuff. So, and I knew my dad's attitude about stuff like that. He's a righteous man. When I met um, Peter's parents, my parents were so relieved because I'd finally met a man with a similar background but a man of integrity who, whom I could build a life with, who could be a father to our children and to, say, and to love our children but to also set the boundaries. Now, did our kids get away with some blue murder? Yeah, I'm sure they did. But you know, they knew their father's standard. According to the stories that you tell yourself and the stories that you, and the things that you speak to others, Peter believed the stories that were told him, he, the story he tells himself, I am a father. And you know, I think transitioning into being a father is not an easy thing. We were talking about this the other day. And he said, I don't find it, I found it hard to see myself as a father. You know, when, when you're used to just having a life and just having fun and stuff and all of a sudden you've got a transition and the weight sits on your shoulders now and then mum and dad or your dad, your parents die and all of a sudden you realise, oh, I'm at the top of the tree but you still don't feel like the father. But see, Abraham, the true father, is the one who says, I believe against hope. My children will grow up strong in the Lord. My children will serve the Lord. This is how we're going to live. You're the one who, who puts the stake in the sand and says, this is the way we shall go. Walk in it. The Father believes who he's called to be. It's a journey. It'll take your time. 
New farms, it takes time to transition into that. But the older you get, the more you realise that role of father is so important.